Blog Talk Radio. Welcome into MyW Sports Sports Monday. Another week has gone by, and here we are to give you a recap in all the sports action from the past week. Luis Sanchez, Eric Ayala, Kyle Westcott, and we also have a special guest today, Ashley Edmondson of uh, the former, uh, formerly of the Portland Fighting Shockwave, retired women's tackle football player. Ashley, it's a great uh, pleasure to have you joining us here this this evening. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Ashley actually does some work for Fox Sports, 1340 down um, with our buddies Brian Waters uh, and the whole crew down there. So we're going to get to Ashley in just a moment, but a lot to get to in the past week. South Carolina wins the 2017 National Championship, first ever program, uh, first ever in program history. We also have football to get to, a lot of football this weekend. Football is finally back, so we're excited to get into that topic. USA, uh, their boycott is over if you haven't kept up with MyW Sports this past week. They've played two games so far. They'll play a third today in the Women's World Championship uh, in Plymouth, Michigan. We'll give you some updates there. And another thing uh, that happened this weekend, Lexi Thompson, a costly penalty that was actually um, given to the LPGA by a TV viewer tip, cost her the championship this weekend. And we'll get to that at the Anna Inspiration Tournament. But let's swing it over to Kyle for the fun fact of the week. Sure. Our fun fact of the week this week, we spoke about Michaela Schiffer and winning the uh, overall World Cup title for the FIS downhill uh, and all Alpine overall. Um, Michaela now joins the other two Americans who have won the, the title in the past. Tamara McKinney in 1983 was the first American female uh, to win the overall title. And Lindsey Vaughn has done it four times uh, since then. Uh, but great honor for Michaela Schifrin and a great group of, of great athletes to be a, a part of. And Kyle, I know we talk about this all the time, but is is this your favorite? Is is Schifrin your favorite for the 2018 Olympics to to kind of come out with a whole bunch of gold medals? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's certainly a name that people know and people can follow, and you know, she's already made headway in in previous events, and and I think she's primed and ready to go for next uh, next February. Absolutely. And EA, anything around the league as we're looking forward to this evening? Um, well, we have the WNBA draft coming up that we'll talk about, but I'm going to defer my time to another uh, historical moment. Dawn Staley, not only does she win the first title for South Carolina, she wins her first title as coach or player in the NCAA system and becomes only the second woman of color to win a national title as head coach. So all praise go to the newest head coach of USA Basketball, Don Staley. 
Absolutely. Joining Carolyn Peck, I believe, from 1999 at Purdue, EA? That's it. That's the one. And it's a great story. Uh, Carolyn Peck gave her a piece of that net from the 99 championship, told her to hang on to it until she got a piece of her own. And so Dawn Staley not only is going to give that piece back to Carolyn Peck, but is also going to uh, pass on the tradition. That's awesome. That's awesome. So all right, we're going to bring our special guest back in, in here. Ashley, uh, why don't you tell our fans uh, what you do, um, what you used to do, and um, just, uh, just where they can find you uh, to follow you. Yeah, so um, I used to be a defensive tackle for the Portland Fighting Shockwave. I was also on when they used to be the Portland Shockwave before them and the Fighting Phillies combined. Um, pretty much ended up retiring due to medical reasons. My back just can't handle it anymore. But uh, right now I am a video editor and a social media specialist on Fox Sports 1340 AM and 96.9 FM. Um, I also am the voice of the Women's Tackle Football Talk Four Point Stamps, which has had its own controversies um, being made. Um, Otherwise, yeah, I've I've got tons of experience in football. I was media manager for the Shockwave. I was their producer of game film. Uh, I was the I was the producer intern at NFL Films on the show Playbook during 2014. Uh, before the show was canceled, I was the first and only woman to ever work on the analytics production side of the show in its history. And I'm trying to get back there. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> it's tough being a woman that knows football. It's, it's just tough in the whole media world, to be honest. Well, and, you know, we have we have a whole rundown to get to, and we'll talk about football uh, a little bit later. But, actually, let's talk a little bit about you and, and what, what actually got you into football. Um, you know, it, it seems like oh. everybody we interview on, on MyW Sports who've, who's, who's played football has this unique story of how they got into it um, and, and what kept that passion burning throughout their life. So for you, what was it? I know the injuries kind of set you back a little bit, but um, besides that, what was, what was the burning fire to play football? Are you there, Ashley? All right, so I think we lost Ashley. We'll we'll move on and uh, we'll talk some basketball now, and we'll get Ashley back during our during our football talk. But um, Kyle, you there? I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you. EA, you oh, there? Oh, good, good. I'm here. All right, so let's get right into this basketball talk. I know before we get into the finals and talking about South Carolina and Don Staley and Asia Wilson and uh, Alicia Gray, all these phenomenal players that we'll, we'll get to in just a moment, we've got to figure out how they got there first because you missed us this week. Um, so let's talk about South Carolina. They make it into the national championship after a win against Stanford, a 62-53 game, Stanford kind of controlled this uh, game in the first half. But then Alicia Gray, she came alive. Uh, Asia Wilson had a double-double to help South Carolina advance to the national championship. Wilson had 13 points and 19 rebounds and 37 minutes of play, only three minutes of, uh, of rest during this matchup. EA, I know you're a big fan of South Carolina. Were you expecting this? Did you think that, you know, given the storylines, everybody was saying Stanford, UConn, uh, the Samuelson sisters, were you impressed with how South Carolina came back in that second half and pulled off the victory? Um, well, to answer your first question, uh, I'm not surprised. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say that I was impressed because we've seen this from South Carolina. I think it was disappointing to see them go out what I would consider early last year 
And even though they had a rough loss to UConn this season, um, they have shown their grit, even against Mississippi State in that SEC, uh, SEC excuse me, uh, championship game. So I'm not surprised. I think, if anything, we're starting to see – I'm impressed by the consistency that they're able to show and the, uh, their ability to overcome adversity by, you know, losing – a player to injury. Um, so I, I'm impressed by that. But I think that, you know, I've been saying it for, for a better part of a year now that South Carolina and Don Staley in particular are a team to watch the next up-and-coming team to contest the, the UConn dynasty. And, Kyle, there's, there's a lot, as I just mentioned, to talk about. And then you talk about all the storylines following Dawn Staley. You know, she is a player uh, who turned into a coach. She won three gold medals as a player for Team USA. Now she was just named uh, the head coach for Team USA before uh, this tournament run, or well, I guess during this tournament run. Um, what, what are your thoughts about South Carolina and what they were able to, to show off in that first semifinal matchup? Again, I think the key here is, what he mentioned, you lose a player like Coates, and you, uh, this is this is the player that a majority of the offense went through, or at least she was a part of the distraction of the offense uh, to get the ball to somebody else. Um, when she was on the floor, defenses certainly had to had to keep an eye on her. You take her out of the lineup, and then you go on this run that they went on, and and to play in many cases to have a, a deficit and to play behind and, and just keep battling. And, and, you know, EA said it, the, the perseverance and the, 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 just the way that they battled in in all of these games was, was outstanding. And you talked about that battle, a big, Part of that was Asia Wilson stepping up. You talked about the loss of Elena Coates, but but even Kayla Davis. I mean, a lot of people were were shocked to hear this name during the tournament, and she came out and just put on a performance um, like no other, just like a regular starter throughout this tournament. So yeah, I'll go back to you. I know there's there's we can't really. I mean, for me, I can't really pick one one player specifically and be like, hey, this was a turnaround player because it seemed like on the South Carolina team. One, it was a different player every night. It was somebody. Yeah, there's consistency with Asia Wilson, but there's there's it always seemed to be one other player uh, making a name for herself. You know, and I think that's interesting. Um, you know, I think another another name we have to really talk about is uh, you know the transfer Gray. I think she's been another player that um, really showed her range with the injury to Coates. Um, and you know, I think. When a lot of the storylines, I'm going back to particularly as South Carolina was leading up to that UConn game, what was that, end of January, early February, somewhere around there, I believe, um, for 100. It was the 100th win for UConn. A lot of people were talking about the big three for South Carolina, but it's never been just three players for South Carolina. That's the easy headline, and you know, you run with it because everyone else is talking about it. But it's never been just three players for South Carolina. And with the injury to Coach, we saw the versatility of this lineup. And in some ways, we really saw the offense open up and the defense buckle down. Absolutely. You talked about, you know, um, 
great, but they, another player that was really, uh, I guess Holly Rowe called her out, and, and then Dom Staley had a lot of great positive words to say, but Bianca Cuevas more. She, she you know, yes, was baby. a starter on this team and got benched and, and accepted her role. And, and you know, I think, I think it's always great to see how players react when another player is talked about. And I think last night you saw exactly what she meant to that team. I mean, did you get that feeling as well, Erica? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, again, when I talk about defense really buckling down, I mean, what Cuevas was able to do with William, and I know we'll get to that, but, again, owning your role. I talked a lot when we were talking about uh, the L.A. Sparks, you know, about the, the players, the role players on that team. And, you know, I think that Cuevas Moore is one of those players. Bianca Cuevas Moore is one of those players, and she also brings this energy you know, she's playing with a lot of Southern girls. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But you mix a little Bronx in there. Now you got a, you got a, you know, dangerous concoction. Absolutely. And Kyle, I mean, when you're talking about this South Carolina team, there's a lot of things to talk about the defense being uh, one of their highlights, but looking at the opposite matchup, South Carolina is in the championship. They have to play either Mississippi state or UConn. And I, I think a lot of people had this one already marked in um, and, and, and I'll, I'll admit this. I am sorry to everybody for saying that UConn would get to 200 wins. Um, my apologies to the entire basketball field. Um, I shouldn't have said it, and it, 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 this just proves me wrong. So uh, my apologies. But, Kyle, UConn streak, 111 games in a row, uh, ended Friday. Mississippi State pulls off one of the biggest upsets in women's basketball history. Um, your thoughts, not only on this game, but the specific performance of Morgan Williams. Is it one of the biggest upsets in, in basketball history? I mean, I understand yes. that this was yes. a very yes. long streak. Yes. I understand yes. it was 111 <laughs> games. But this is not the same team. And I kept hearing the announcers say, UConn beat them by 60. UConn beat them by 60. No, not this UConn team. This is a different UConn team. This is a UConn team without Breonna Stewart, without Mariah Jefferson, without Morgan Tuck. Yes, they're still a very good team, but they they are not the team that Mississippi State is not the same team that lost by sixty. So I I, I understand it was a big upset, but I I I hold off on saying it was one of the biggest of all time because that Mississippi State team was on a roll. They they played together well as a team. They spread the ball well. They were unselfish, and they they just wanted it more that night. And, yeah, I'll give you a chance to, to react because I, I kind of had a similar reaction. Um, so, so you first, and then I'll jump in in a second. Bruh. Bruh. Okay. <laughs> hey, what, 111 wins? How many straight wins did this UConn Husky team win this season? At, what was it, 30, what, what is it, 30, 32 games, something like that? 36 Thir- this year. 36, 36 this year. 30, 36 this year, Okay. And then you snap a 36-game winning streak in route to the national championship game. Yeah. Come, come on. Come on. That's a big upset. That's a big upset in the final four in Dallas. That's a big upset. Uh, what is it? Sanaya Chong, has, that was her second loss of her career. That's a big upset. That is a big upset. This is a Mississippi State team that um, – that went through, who'd they go through? They went through um, UConn. 
They they went through all of these perennial powerhouses in women's basketball and then put the cherry on top by beating UConn in a buzzer beater in overtime. That's an amazing game. That's a huge upset, even, even if you take away the 111 wins. And even if you take away the 60-point route from last season. But all of it, just like 111, I agree with you wasn't the same team that got to 111. That team, that UConn team, will be the first people to tell you they're not the team that got all 111 of those wins, but they owned 36 of them, and they, and they took that loss. And they got lost at a, at a time where in their individual history, if you can even say that, because it's hard when you have a team that spans four years from freshman to, to senior. But – Specifically talking about this season, huge upset in this season, huge upset. And, a, and you know what? Maybe I'll take away the word upset, although I do think it applies. It's a game changer for women's basketball. Yes. Maybe you can – there we go. It's a game changer for women's yes. basketball because of the history of UConn, because of the up-and-coming teams like Mississippi State, like Oregon, like with South Carolina. We've been seeing this in South Carolina for years now. And the whole – there's a, 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 a shift happening in women's basketball, and Mississippi State was able to put the coup de grace on UConn's piece of that shift. And I think we're, we're – I, I, I have no doubt that Gino and the Huskies are, are going to come back strong, but I think that they're going to have to find – they're going to have to evolve UConn basketball. And so maybe we take the, the word upset if that's, if that's the, the, the chink in the chain, but this was a game changer for women's basketball. Yeah, and I, I like that one much better because – you, you, for so long we've heard, well, UConn has won 111 because nobody can compete with them. They've won 111 because there's no parity. They've won 111 because they get all the best players every year, and this is never going to change, and they're going to win 200 games. But the reality of it is that when you play in the SEC, like Mississippi State, you had to go against South Carolina during the regular season twice. You had to go against Tennessee twice. You had to go against Kentucky twice. You have to face some really tough matchups all season long, and that's what's going to make a team better. And this loss just shows that it, it, it's very it, – it is, I think, the most difficult thing in the world to NCAA basketball championship because you have to win six consecutive games, and as you go, the teams get harder and harder and harder, and the, the rest between the games is only two days. And it is very, very difficult. And this just shows that, you know, it was Mississippi State on this day. But what if it was South Carolina on that day? What if it was Stanford on that day? You know, it, it doesn't mean that Mississippi State's the only one that would have beaten them. This shows you that there are other teams out there that are as, as good as better than the UConn Huskies. And – Kyle, I think that's a great point. Yeah, I think you brought up um, some some great points there as well. And, you know, when I think about what you both brought up is we see South Carolina and Mississippi State defeat two perennial powers in UConn and Stanford. And that's kind of this, this shift that we're talking about in, in the game where we see these new programs that for years 
have put forth the efforts to, to compete with the UConn, to compete with the Stanford uh, back in the, the day of Tennessee. So it, it goes to show you how great the game has evolved. Um, and, and Ashley, I'll bring you in. Uh, you know, I, I think it was really interesting to see Gino's reaction to the loss. Um, and he had some really strong comments after the game. So, so what would you take away from it? Well, like one of the biggest things that Gino had said in his uh, post-game interview was, now UConn knew what the other teams felt like for the first time in a long time. And if anything, it was going to make them a stronger team next season. So everybody else was going to have to watch out. We were going to see potentially another streak begin. And to see a coach kind of be that humble, even after that many wins in a row, that's impressive. And it's not something you see all that often in women's sports, to be honest. Yeah, you know, I think one of the one of the images that sticks with me is Gino smiling as soon as the buzzer sounded, and even his assistant coaches in the background, they they kind of were just like, "Wow, we actually lost," you know, and um, but they were yeah. actually really happy for Mississippi State as well. So yeah, I'll bring you in back on this. I know we're all UConn fans, or at least us three have been UConn fans uh, out, out loud into the public. So what were your thoughts about UConn? Just just the way they handled it. Oh, they were uh, consummate professionals. If you, the only, there is a moment of time where you saw how much that, that loss hurt. And that was when Gabby Williams, for a minute, just for, not even a minute, it was a second in time, she put both of her hands on her knees and just sighed out, like any normal person would do after <laughs> a buzzer beater. That was an amazing game. And then she quickly remembered where she was, got up, the entire team ran off the court, they ran into the hallway, they ran into the locker room. UConn is, they are a professional team. And I think that's what struck me the most. And that's what other teams have to realize about UConn. You heard it after Oregon, after the Oregon Ducks played UConn in the Bridgeport Regional. That's something. The discipline is really what is astounding, and that is what got UConn. That is what got one coach 111 wins because it's not one team. It's one coach, and the players change basically every year, and that's the takeaway, and that's what I think should be covered when we're talking about the streak is the professionalism, is the culture, because that's what other teams are going to have to figure out. They don't need to be like Geno, but they need to figure out what is – South Carolina's professionalism going to look like? What's Oregon's going to look like? And own that and live and die by the team and the culture that you put together. Absolutely. And, and Kyle, I'll get your thoughts on this as well. When you talk about what UConn has been able to do, are, are you, if you're the rest of college basketball, I know the, the rest of the field is going to get better um, as well, but is this kind of a blessing in disguise for UConn going into next year? Oh, definitely. I mean, you uh, you have a, a very young team. I mean, look at the core of that team and the key key nurse is coming back and Katie Lou Samuelson will be back and and quite a few others that are are going to be key role players. And you're you're also going to add some, some huge pieces next year. We've talked about in the past uh, the the uh, transfers that they have coming in and the recruits that they have coming in uh, are going to make UConn even stronger. Um, I think so. I think this is going to give them something to drive for next year. And, and obviously now I would say that they're the team to beat next year. All right. So we'll see. Um, 
what UConn does and what Stanford does after their final four losses. But now we have a national championship, excuse me, national championship game to discuss. And number one, South Carolina going up against number two, Mississippi State. Um, this was an incredible game, but South Carolina had it from the start, a 67-55 victory for the Gamecocks. Again, their first ever uh, national championship in program history. Don Staley, the fourth ever player to become a coach and win a championship, uh, joining the likes of Kim Mulkey and Pat, Pat Summit. Um, so when we're talking about this matchup, you know, there's a story about Mississippi State riding this, this upset win against UConn. And then there's this kind of nobody's really talking about South Carolina. Nobody's really talking about, um, you know, if, if UConn isn't there, the other teams that can pull off this, this win and win this national championship. This is the first new national champion in five years. So, EA, I'll start with you. South Carolina, they earned this victory from start to finish. What, what was your analysis of the game? Yeah, absolutely, they earned it. I think um, coming into the game, you're right, uh, in the media, obviously in the dramatic fashion of the win, Mississippi State had the momentum. And, you know, you can ride that adrenaline all the way through. Um, and so I think the one thing that stood out to me that Don Staley said is um, she was like, are we excited that we don't get to play UConn? Heck no, because now we have to play the team that beat them. That's what Don Staley was saying. The team, I thought, South Carolina, I loved that they were excited for that it was going to be an all-SEC championship game. I think that they had the vision – and the foresight to see beyond just the game um, leading up to the game. But when they hit the court, man, it was all business, and it was excellent to watch. That professionalism, that execution, I think we started to see what South Carolina can do when they pull all their pieces together. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful to watch. Absolutely. And, Kyle, all SEC final, these two teams met previously twice this season this is a third straight victory for South Carolina, and I think we both know, I think all of us here know, it's really hard to beat a team three times in a row. So what was it about South Carolina in this matchup that, that proved to be uh, the decider? I think this South Carolina team, I think the key for them this year was that they played with attitude, but they didn't play stupid. You know, they, they both in the semifinal and the final they didn't commit as many personal fouls as the other team. So they're out there being aggressive. They're out there with their attitude, and, and they know that we did beat them twice, and we need to work, but we're going to do it again. But yet they don't go out there and commit you know, a stupid foul. They're out there working hard and, and just dominating, as you said, this game from, from the opening quarter. And, Ashley, you're a defensive player, so I'll bring you in here. Kyle just brought up a great point in not committing fouls, so, so you know, personal fouls or penalties. Um, this defense also held their opponents in the final four to 53 points um, and 55 points. If you're looking at it as, as a player from a defensive perspective, is this, you know, that old saying, defense wins championships? Uh, honestly, yeah, but at the same time, I mean, the offense got it done in this game, too. I mean, Basketball is not my sport, really. <laughs> I'll admit that. But, yeah, I mean, going for the rebounds is important, obviously. Um, but, yes, I would say in this case, yeah, defense definitely helped. And as you mentioned, offense as well. I mean, when you when you talk about offense, I think about 62 points against a, a really stingy defensive Stanford team, uh, and then you talk about 50, excuse me, 67 against Mississippi State, which held a high potent offense like UConn to just 64. So um, 
EA, I'll go back to you. Asia Wilson. I, you know, I, from, from game one in this final four, I thought, wow, if she can play this way in the finals, she's going to win the most outstanding player of, of the tournament. And she did. She had 23 and 10 in the finals. She went 13 and 19 in the semis. What, what were your thoughts on her performance? You know, I think what we saw from Asia Wilson is some people, uh, you know, I think it was the analyst, Doris Burke, um, were saying that, you know, she found a way to play her game. But if you ask Asia Wilson, some of the things that I, I read and that I heard her saying is that, well, she had to really expand her game. So you know that she's dominant down low, but she had to find ways to make it happen, um, you know, in, in other ways, whether that was using her, her quickness a little bit more, uh, pump faking a little bit more. But the thing is that she was confident enough in her game that she could find what she needed to do. And she had enough, uh, enough skill, uh, enough, you know, in the repertoire to be able to change it up and still be as effective as her team needs her to be because they do rely on her um, on the offensive side as well as defensively and, and you know, crashing the boards and keeping second chance opportunities for the other team to a minimum. Absolutely. That's a great point. And Kyle, we'll wrap up with your final thoughts on Asia Wilson and, and what did you think of just the South Carolina run in general? I, I mean, I, I had been saying from the beginning, I, I thought they were the team that, that could have, uh, if we weren't talking about UConn, that they could have won it. Uh, when they lost Coates, I mean, it was certainly a huge blow, but uh, you saw them after that, after losing Coates, really turn it on offensively. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that they just, as I said, I think they came together as a team and came together a, as a family and, and just played great basketball when it when they needed to and and again put together an, an effective offense and and not a, a a defense that was riddled with it with errors absolutely and again congratulations to the university of south carolina for winning their first ever national championship defeating mississippi state 67 55 in the 2017 ncaa basketball title game uh again congratulations to don staley as well for making history uh and joining a very elite group uh some from from the future players to now the current uh, and professional players. The WNBA draft was announced this week. It will be taking place April 13th at Samsung 837 in New York. Uh, the event will not be open to the public, but it will be, as according to the press release, uh, one of the best spectacles of the WNBA draft that they've had in their history. So, EA, I'll, I'll go to the native New Yorker. What is Samsung 837? Yeah, never heard of it, so couldn't tell you. Uh, so, uh, but hopefully uh, we'll find out. Um, you know, I, of course, we're always excited. I think after the 20th season, you want to see what's going to happen. Had a great NCAA tournament. Kelsey Plum is, is coming out of college. Really excited about that. But, I mean, like, do we really have time to get excited for this? I mean, they, like, kind of, you know, have, just – I don't know. It just felt like the announcement, the hype, uh, wasn't quite what it was in years past. So, you know, I'm hoping that people really come out. I think there were missed opportunities from a marketing perspective. But, again, there's some great talent. So we'll see. I think it was nice being in Mohegan Sun and having the fans there. So the fact that that's not going to happen this year is a little bit of a bummer. But 
at the end of the day, we're there to, to pick the future of the league. So if that happens, I guess, I guess I'll be happy. Absolutely. And uh, Kyle, I heard you laugh. So let me just first give you, give, give everybody an explanation here. Samsung 837, the brand's experimental flagship and cultural hub, the digital, digital playground boasts three levels of experience zones, including, including a virtual reality theater. Uh, wow, say that three times fast. And a three-story multimedia screen, which will serve as the backdrop of the event. Um, Samsung 837, as I mentioned, will provide a setting unlike any other the WNBA draft has featured before. So EAI as well am excited to, to, to see this place um, coming up on April 13th. But Kyle, what were your thoughts of, of the announcement and not being at Mohegan Sun? I agree. I think it was a little hasty. Uh, you know, the, the press release came out uh, announcing this uh, only two weeks before the event. Uh, I think that the good thing about it is that it will be the first round uh, will be on ESPN2. Second and third rounds will be on ESPNU, and then uh, you can also catch it on, on Watch ESPN and the ESPN app, too. So, I mean, there, there are ways to watch it. You're just going to have to watch it on TV or, or on an app uh, program. But, um, you know, I, I'm excited for it. I think, as, as EA said, you know, where does Kelsey Plum go? Uh, I think we have a lot of names to talk about, Kelsey Mitchell and, and uh, you know, Ozakor out of, out of Washington as well. Um, and, and I think also that this is a, a great draft for uh, teams that need to rebuild. And we, we see the top uh, in the first round, the stars, the sky, and the wings go one, two, three, and the wings actually have three and four. And, and those three teams have some serious uh, makeup uh, to be done. And uh, you know, they're going to get a, a great group of, of players out of, the, out of the NCAA ranks this year, and hopefully they can turn it into future success. Absolutely. The Wings, three picks in the first round, so we'll see what they can do. And you talked about it, teams that can rebuild uh, a great draft for teams to, to pick up players that can help uh, solidify their system. So we're looking forward to the draft on April 13th. You can catch live coverage on MyW Sports social media, on Facebook, um, MyW Sports, and, at, and on Twitter, at MyW Sports. Um, for the latest, we'll also have videos on Periscope, so catch that stuff out. Uh, April 13th at 7 o'clock again, at my W Sports. So wrapping up some basketball, all of our basketball talk, let's move on to the USA Women's National Team. Last week we updated you on their boycott. A couple of days later the boycott was over. Uh, an agreement had come between the players and USA Hockey. A lot to get to in this contract. We'll give you some of the specifics. 70000 per year with bonus opportunities at Olympic and World Championship victories, a $950,000 compensation pool for players, a pre-bonus salary of 4000 per month. It used to be 6000 a year every four years. So think about that. That's a big step up for the lady, uh, the lady of the U.S. U.S. Excuse me. The U.S. Olympic Committee adds a $750 to $2,000 per month player experience bonus um, per diem for players, $50, which goes up from $24. That's equal to the men's team, as well as uh, travel insurance. Travel and insurance will be equal to the men. Uh, and the big announcement as well: committee to develop a committee to develop youth hockey for girls and the promotion of the women's game, including professional, um, professional women's hockey. So those are the details. There's plenty more to get to. Uh, one of the reactions we got from Megan Duggan, the captain of Team USA, and I'll quote here, our, our sport is a big winner today. We stood up for what we thought was right, what was right, and USA Hockey's leadership listened. In the end, both sides came together. I'm proud of my teammates and can't thank everyone enough who supported us. 
It's time now to turn the page. We can't wait to play in the World Championship later this week in front of our fans as we try to defend our gold medal. As I mentioned earlier, USA has played two games already. They are 2-0, and and they play a third currently tonight. Um, so let's talk about it. EA hockey. Um, it, it seems like there's, it's been a huge topic for the last couple of weeks. Now we're getting into game action. But what were your thoughts about this boycott um, and now what the players are able to receive? You know, I was very uh, encouraged by the women's decision uh, unanimously to, um, to really take a stand and, and try to, to get – this is not even uh, – this is a differentiation that I want to make. A lot of people were saying equal pay, and a lot of that language came because of what U.S. soccer is going through, not was, is, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in shows to come. But this this was really about what makes good sense to have a successful hockey program at the international level. We're talking per diems. We're talking uh, accommodations for where these athletes are going to sleep. We're talking about money going into the developmental system, which is important because USA Hockey is encouraged by the all the money they've put into the developmental program on the men's side because we heard today that the NHL players – again, will not be going to the Olympics. So they know how valuable a feeder system is, but they weren't giving that money to on the girls' and women's side. So I thought it was huge for them to parlay a home ice, um, or I should say uh, us hosting, the United States hosting the women's world, parlay that into an opportunity to have a real conversation and to, and to move things forward. Very encouraged by how that went down. Uh, glad that it was able to get worked out. Also, though, I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess I should say. One of the things that came out, uh, USA Hockey, I forget the gentleman's name, at the time, uh, or excuse me, um, I'm forgetting his name, uh, said that when asked if he thought that, you know, the, the whole strike might uh, bear ill on the reputation of USA Hockey, he said something akin to, well, I hope not. If anything, I hope that USA Hockey gets credit for making a deal. That really struck me. The fact that USA Hockey thinks that they should get credit for making a deal that they probably should have put in place when people like Cami Granado were fighting for it really tells me that culturally, although this is a good win, it's a coup, it's not the end. There's still more to be done. And so those are just my initial hot takes, if you will, uh, on the situation with USA Hockey. And, yeah, I definitely caught a piece of – um, that interview as well, and I, I want to get back to that thought. But, Kyle, I want you to tell me your thoughts. We talked about it last week, um, and now we, we have a, a resolution. So, so what, were your, what are your thoughts about the resolution and, and, and um, your, just your reaction? I'm going to agree with, with EA's cautious optimism. Um, I think that what we have found out about it sounds great. I think when you talk about the, the financial implications – the, the things that they have increased, I think that sounds great. And I think, you know, kind of a thing that's going to roll out of that as well is that, that that's going to allow the, um, the national team players that play in the NWHL to continue to play in the future as well when it's, it may or may not be a, a full price league, if you will, whether they decide they're going to pay, you know, half what they claim they were going to pay or whether they're going to. Um, I think these players now 
have a little bit more backing from their national team uh, responsibilities that they're going to be able to do or be able to play in WHL as well. Um, my caution, though, is that we don't really have a ton of information on what it means to develop youth hockey for girls and promote the women's game. And, and all we heard from this is that the committee is going to develop those things. Um, and, and I just, that was really what the of this was. This is really what we heard from, as you mentioned, Duggan, or from Casey Bellamy. That's what they really wanted. They wanted to see the development of youth programs, and they wanted to see more games played for themselves, and they wanted to see more promotion of their games. Um, we don't have any answers on that yet. I just hope that this isn't kind of an appeasement by the committee and we're not going to see those things increased. That's a great yeah, point, I, Colin. Go, go ahead, EA. Well, I was just going to say, I agree with that. And I think we're already seeing that, right? Uh, and <laughs> 2016, when we were watching Team USA, I believe it was the um, opening game, so the first preliminary game, excuse me, and then the gold medal match were on NH the NHL network. However, it was not the NHL network or any other American broadcast uh, network that was delivering that feed. We were getting right. a, a world championship feed for, a, uh, what is it, what would that have been, the fourth, I think, third or fourth consecutive medal for the United States from yep. the, the third or fourth consecutive silver medal country. Now, okay, 2016, Canada's the host nation. Maybe I can get with that. 2017, you are so gung-ho on hosting the 2017 World Championships that you allege that you're going to find scabs to replace your gold medal winning team. So you, you, really, you really want the United States to have a presence. Yet, in 2017, on the NHL Network, we still have to watch a Canadian feed. But yet the argument has been made by lots of, I almost said pundits, that's because I'm a poli-sci major, uh, analysts, that's what we call them in sports, analysts have said that women's hockey doesn't, doesn't make money. How can women's hockey make money when there is no broadcast deal? How do we know what the sponsorship is if there is no network that is providing the numbers for us here in the States? Because how, how do you break up the TSN numbers to say concretely what's coming out of the United States when they're streaming online and they're streaming through the NHL network? Like, come on, let's get some real numbers. Let's put the money behind it. This is your golden goose. You're hosting the world championships on home ice, the house literally of USA Hockey, and you still couldn't find a national broadcast company to put these on air? Come on. Weak sauce. I, yeah, I just I, if I could stand up and and applaud and people can hear it, I I that's what I would do right now, EA, because that that was absolutely well said. And I know our fans have heard us talk about this at length. You know how we feel. This might be a chicken or the egg conversation, but I I am 100% on board with you, EA. You have to back it, and especially when when you you hit it right on the head when you said when you brought up the statement that they made. I, I think it was on the, on a on a hockey broadcast after the agreement where they said that they deserve a lot of credit. 
I don't, you know, it's it's funny because I love history and I'm a big fan of U.S. history. So I immediately thought about the labor movement uh, when this happened and, and scabs were one of the first thing I thought about. And the fact that you're going to sit there and say that, yeah, we deserve a lot of credit when, like you said, EA, you really went and tried to find replacement players as far as rec league replacement players for gold medal winning national uh, international champions. I mean, really? And, and you can't get somebody to broadcast in the States for, for your, like you said, your prime event, the thing that you really want to showcase. I, I, I again, yeah, I have to applaud you for how you said it because I can't say it any better. Uh, Kyle, I'll, I'll give you the form. And then Ashley, I want to bring you in in a second. I don't know that I can follow that up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree with the, whatever, everything EA said. And I, again, I think it's, I hope, again, that this was not an appeasement and we just said, okay, let's throw some money at it and, and they'll stop talking about it. You know, Because I think that, again, the big thing that the players wanted wasn't so much the money. It was the development of the youth programs. It was that their tr- training schedule, they were playing uh, eight games a year. The, the men were playing 50 games a year in preparation for their, their world championships. Um, right. That the promotion of, of women's games. So like EA said, let's not put it on the NHL network and need come from Sportsnet from Canada. Let's actually go out and, and put this on a actual uh, American network. And, and you know what, let's put it on cable while we're at it too. So everybody can see it, not just on, um, you know, the NHL network where you have to search through your guide and oh, hope that you goodness. have the sports package. Right. Not or even, mention, or even right? going online. Exactly. You could even find it online. Exactly yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. Right. There, so, there is a feed up uh, just for, for those listening. So go to NHL.com. Uh, there is a feed up. We are scoreless with uh, 15.58 left in the first. So just getting started. Uh, this is still the preliminary rounds. USA is taking on Finland. USA still undefeated. And Finland, a big win over Canada. Um, just a couple of days ago, so that that was a huge win. I think it was Canada's, uh, or I'm sure it was Canada's only loss in World Championship play um, to a team other than USA. So big win for Finland. But before we wrap up on this conversation, I want to bring Ashley in. Ashley, you played football. You know, it's it's a, not a professional sport, semi-professional, but this is something that a lot of your teammates, a lot of your peers, they want to do professionally. They want to get paid for. So is USA Hockey, uh, well, is this agreement from the players the way they took a, a stand? Um, you know, a big, a, a big victory, I should say, for for the growth of of women in, in professional sports. Well, to kind of make a correction, I mean, until, uh, I mean, women's tackle football is professional until there is a a governing league. I mean, it, it's yeah, this is a sore subject. Let's just say that much. But um, if Team USA is going to pull out of the women's teams to make their roster it's even in the eyes of the olympic committee um women's football is professional but that's for a later topic but um just knowing how like knowing how u.s soccer handles things and how even the nba wnba is handled um it is it does look like they're trying to make um, from the hockey from u.s hockey's perspective it does seem like they are trying to kind of bury it. I had to be honest. Um, because 
you know, the NFL said the same thing. Oh, we're going to create a committee to develop youth football and get girls in, in football and all this. And I have yet to see any evidence of that. I know that they are trying to get also women in the front office. I have yet to see any true evidence of that. But, I mean, good for, the, good for them in the fact that they are compensating the players as they should, especially if they are arguably more successful than the men. But at the same time, I do feel like they are trying to, well, let's keep everybody distracted by what you see, and hopefully everybody ignores the fine print. That's more my experience just in sports in general. Um, I mean, like I said, it's a little different with football, just in the fact that we have so much to deal with. We don't, we're not part of the NFL, but Team USA still pulls out of us as they pull out of the NFL whenever they finally get to that point. Um, yeah, it's... So, and, and actually, with that being said, you guys, there's there's the World Championships coming up. So, is this would this be a, a sort of a forum for for women to kind of take a stand as well to say, hey, football deserves that that equal recognition as well? Well, I know with the biggest push the NFL was trying to do was get tackle football in the Olympics, and the Olympic Committee came back saying that the women's side of football is a little more structured. They have more options. The men's side is not. So, and then, of course, there is the concept of they have to get a team in Africa to make it worldwide, and then it could be possible. Well, right now, there are confirmed two teams, one in Egypt and the other in Cairo, of women's teams, full 11. So the women's side has it. It's the men's side that have to catch up. And the biggest thing is I, I know that there are – oh, yeah, there's Team USA, but they pick out of the high school pool. They don't pull out of the professional pool on the men's side. The women, all they have is current Team USA, which are two-time gold medals, gold medalists trying to win their third, and flag football. That's it. So, and they don't get compensated. I know that was the biggest issue with the last games being moved to uh, Finland was when they got to Canada – there was the argument that, well, the men's side were compensated. They were given per diem. They were, all their equipment was paid for. Their traveling was paid for. Their hotels were paid for. But the women had to pay out of their pocket. And when Team USA, the women's side of it, confronted them, Canada pulled their uh, position. And it was forced not very long after to move to Finland. And then, of course this year being in Canada, was a way to make up to it. <laughs> wow. So there's a lot going on in football, and uh, we'll see exactly what <laughs> happens as the world championships come uh, come uh, closer, I, sh- I should say. Let's wrap up this hockey talk. EA, you talked about Team Finland right now. We, we talked about Canada. They lost to USA. They lost to Finland. Right now they, they, they're 0-2. They picked up a victory today, a much-needed victory over Russia. Uh, is there a cause for concern with Team Canada? Um, well, again, if we're looking at the history of Canada, uh, looking at what Canada has been able to do, I think people are, are concerned. If you look at this team, kind of like what we were saying about UConn, 
I don't know that the that the verdict is in on this team yet. You know, obviously you have some retirements. Haley Wickenheiser, um, you know, there are new faces coming in. You've got Shannon Zabados now coming back into the fold. So the culture has changed. Um, it's not what we expect from a Hockey Canada team. Um, but, you know, um, are they going to be able to to push through and, and really pull some things together? I've been hearing a lot of conversation on the defensive side of Hockey Canada's team in particular, so I'd, I'd love to hear uh, the both of your thoughts on that and how defensively this is a different team than what we've seen in years past. Yeah, Kyle, just your thoughts on, on Canada first. Just Are, are you a little worried if, if you're Hockey Canada fans uh, of this 0-2 start? And, and then jump on EA's point, and I'll, I'll give my answer as well. I guess, I mean, I guess the worry would be either running into the U.S. in the semifinals, uh, you know, or not making the, the, the medal round at all. And, um, you know, certainly – you know, the, you can understand the loss to the U.S., you know, but certainly that Finland loss was was a, was a defeating loss for them. Um, you know, the first team to beat Canada other than the U.S., uh, you know, and it, it's, a, it's a solid Finland team. I mean, I've been talking about the goaltending for Finland for a while and, and that, you know, I thought they were the, certainly the third team. Uh, if we're talking about the, the next best. Um, but you know, they just, they played a great game and, and, you know, to EA's point about the defense, yeah, there are quite a few new, uh, players and it seems like a lot of those players are on defense, but, you know, you look at, you know, some of those players, you know, Aaron Ambrose is a great player and, and I don't know what's going on, but you're right. The defense is, there's something there and, and they're not closing out the way that, that they have in the past. Yeah, and you mentioned Ambrose, but I think their defense is really young. To answer your question, EA, I think they have I think four play, five players uh, that were born in 1990 or or after. Um, so Megan Mickelson is one of the more veteran players, and she's kind of captaining that back line. And I, I don't see any other players stepping up. To your point, Kyle, is you know I don't really know what's going on when you talk about Laura Fortino and uh, uh, Lorraine Ragu. I, I think there's so many great talented players on the defense, but I just don't see them gelling together. So maybe it's the pairing. Maybe it's just finding out who works better with each other. Um, and these preliminary round games might help with that, but I just don't, I don't see the defense doing what, to your point, EA is, is what they're known for doing and shutting down opposing teams. Can we lose EA there? All right. Well, Sorry, I'm USA. here. Sorry, I was on mute. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I, I agree. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, let's let's wrap up hockey. Obviously, you can watch the USA currently on right now, taking on taking on Team Finland. Uh, plenty more matchups later on this week. Just go to I uh, excuse me, go to www.worldwomen2017.com and you'll get all the latest information on the World Championships in Plymouth, Michigan. All right. 
Let's go to our football conversation. Kyle, we are back to football. We have Ashley here to help us out, and I know EA is excited for the New York Shark season to get underway. So plenty of football to talk about. Let's get right into it. We had a busy weekend. It wasn't the official start. We had a game uh, one week ago or two weeks ago. It was the Sacramento Sirens defeating the Phoenix Phantoms 21-18 to in week one of the IWFL. But this weekend we had two games in the IWFL, 29 games in the WSA, the USWFL won't start till next weekend. Kyle, let's get right into it. I mean, what what was the the big storylines in the WFA this week? I, I think the big storyline was getting underway. You know, we we have so many new teams in the WFA this year, and and the question mark was going to be how did these teams form once they got into the WFA? So we're talking about teams like the New York Sharks. And the New York Sharks, right away, week one, have to run into a Richmond Black Widows team that was in the division of the year three uh, championship last year. The Sharks end up beating them 18 to nothing. So the Sharks have a, a pretty good start to the season. Um, I mean, the, the Black Widows are a tier three team. So, you know, it, it is a solid win. Um, but, you know, hopefully the Sharks are going to score a little bit more when they face some of the other teams that are, are more of a caliber where the Sharks are, are going to be. Um, thinking about some of the other teams that are that are new, uh, South Carolina Smash came, are new, a new team. They played the North Florida Pumas. That's a new team. Uh, they beat them eight to nothing. So low scoring, but, you know, welcome to the league and, and you got your first win. Um, I think really the, the one that was a shocker for me uh, was the Orlando Anarchy. Them last year, uh, kind of in a in a somber note, um, but they come away with a, a 37 to nothing victory this week over the Daytona Wave Runners. Um, you know, last year I talked a lot about um, about the Pacific Warriors and and the uh, Central War Central Cal War Angels. Um, the Pacific Warriors unfortunately fell 41 to 40 to the San Diego who are back in the league as we talked uh, last week to to our our guest last week. Uh, and the surge come away with a very close victory over the Pacific Warriors, who showed last year that they they had had grown a lot and and ended up coming uh, losing, I believe, in the Western Finals uh, to uh, the Central Cal War Angels. So, and the Central Cal War Angels defeated the Sin City Trojans fifty to nineteen. Again, a, a team that that we do expect to be pretty good out west. Absolutely. So a lot of great <laughs> matchups to look at. Um, yeah. So let's. Let's go to Ashley, who played in uh, played women's tackle football for Portland. Portland had a big win this weekend. Ashley, they defeated uh, the Tacoma tra- uh, Trauma, fifty-four to six. What were the games that stood out to you this week? Well, um, to kind of go off of like with the New York Sharks, do realize that by switching from the IWFL to the WFA, completely new rule book. Um, IWFL uses NFL rules with some NCAA modifications. WFA is straight NCAA rules. So, oh, it was a learning curve for some of these teams. I will say that. I, um, I, I honestly think that next week when Montreal plays, if I recall them actually playing next week, um, they're probably going to have a somewhat low-scoring game because they have been in the WFL for a long time. Um, if anything, the one game that – like a couple games that really stood out to me was – and then not at the same time, uh, Austin Yellow Jackets totally taking out South Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, South Texas is a brand-new brand team. Yellow Jackets have been around a little while. Um, and they definitely did a lot. Um, 
the San Diego surge, I was more surprised. Obviously, I mean, they definitely lost their defense. But to be honest, the in the IWFL, the North Country Stars is actually a branch off of the surge. That team was actually created from the people that wanted to keep playing while the surge was on hiatus. So, and they lost a lot of defense. I know that uh, one of the linebackers who's on Team USA, um, she played for the Surge, and she was a strong linebacker, and she made quite a difference. So, honestly, I think next week we're going to see quite a quite a strong um, North Country Stars team. Why the Surge kind of try to find their their niche back into the into the game. I mean, the Warriors. They kind of came out of what was known as the uh, Los Angeles Amazons. They kind of took that over among other L.A. teams. Um, there, there's been a lot of West Coast teams, to be honest. I've played a lot of West Coast teams that don't exist anymore and or they have changed. Um, War Angels and the War Angels, I'll leave it at that. If people have heard my podcast, you know I'm going to leave it at that. Um, the one game that really <laughs> surprised me was the Baltimore Nighthawks. A 59-19 win against Keystone. That was a surprise. Um, mainly because, like, I knew Baltimore was a strong team, but I thought the assault was going to, like, was going to be there. And to be able to travel all the way to Baltimore and get at least 19 on the board, that's impressive on its own. Um, looking through my notes, uh, I've already done my uh, highlights. Um... Oh, the other one that really surprised me is the reigning champs, the DC Divas, had a really close game against Philadelphia. It was yeah. twenty-eight to eight. And that one was a surprise when I got that. that game. Yeah, they trailed, yeah. and that was a big surprise. It's like, well, I know a few Philadelphia Phantoms players, but I know a few Divas players too, and who I could only imagine considering that they're only a couple hours apart. I can only imagine just the, the bad blood between those teams right now. I think when we, if they play each other again, it's going to be a different, different animal. Um, I mean, some of these matchups, you can see right away that they're going to be what they are. And then others, it's like, who, when you two see each other again, there's going to be some blood. Well, and, and, and we like talked another, about that last week, Ashley. Is like coming out of the East, we got to see up in Boston. We got to see Philadelphia and the Divas come to Boston last year, and and we saw these teams. and And it doesn't matter who you are, if if you're going to win from the East this year, there's going to be some blood involved. Mhm. Yeah, and on the West, I mean, I thought I thought Seattle was going to come back because um, they got a big linebacker. Big name linebacker Holly Custis is back from her uh, leg injury. Um, she was on the Fighting Phillies team. She was on the Shockwave. She was on the Corvallis Pride. Oh. I mean, I've played against her many times. Last year it made a big difference. I mean, heck, when I played against Seattle, we shut them out for the first time in history. And so for them to only have a nine nothing game against the Southern Oregon Lady Gates yeah. is kind of a surprise. So, and, of course, this uh, game coming up is the rivalry game. Portland travels to Seattle, and I'll be following that quite close because I I wonder if, especially considering that it's the same defense, I'll tell you that much, it's the same defense as last year in the way of, like, same coaching, 
same linebacker, same secondary, the D-line has changed. I'm not there, but there are other players that are now there that play slightly different than I did or whoever I had as my D-tackle. And But still, obviously, because a good chunk of those scores was like last year. Portland got a lot of defensive scores. It wasn't just offense that brought that 54 points. I know that there was a pick six or two out of the deal. So... <laughs> Yeah, I it's agree. A lot of and we, to, go ahead, Kyle. And, and we we talked a lot about the shockwave last year, just because of the the start that they had and the run that they were having, heading uh, playoffs, you know. And and I I do think that they're going to be uh, a very strong team out there this year again. So I'm excited to see them take on Seattle. That again last year too you know, had a pretty solid season too. Yeah, a lot of yeah. great teams. And, <laughs> and I see it. Go ahead. Yeah, no, sorry. And uh, Seattle, um, Seattle and Portland is uh, one of the matchups to look forward to this upcoming week. Um, the Minnesota Vixen versus Minnesota Machine. I think that's going to be interesting just to see yeah. what the machine has to offer that's to the gonna table. Be, that's going to be a big one, especially with the controversy going between those teams. That's going to be a big matchup. Everybody's going to be talking about that one. So we'll look forward to a couple of matchups in the WFA. Just a quick recap on the W, uh, excuse me, the IWFL. The Houston Energy defeated the Tulsa Threat 26 to zero, and the Austin Yellow Jackets, who Ashley brought up earlier, defeated South Texas Lady Crushers 70 to zero. Big matchups to look out for this week will be the Utah Falcons, defending champs, taking on the Phoenix Phantoms, uh, and the Carson Bobcats taking on the North County Stars. So watch out for those matchups. Any uh, any final thoughts on football before we wrap up here? Um, honestly, um, another game I think is going to be a big, we'll see what's going on. Uh, Boston comes to Philadelphia. They will have their season opener at Philly. Um, let's see, uh, War Angels will be going against Kern County, which was actually the Bakersfield Bombers last year. Um, yeah, the, the Vixen and Machine, that's going to be a game that we're all going to be paying attention to, given the preseason controversy. Um, and then the Nighthawks are going to the Pittsburgh Passion. I see that being quite a quite a shootout as well. Absolutely. And Kyle, any, any games sticking out for you? I mean, I think she hit a lot of them right there. You know, obviously the, the Divas and the Sharks, let's, we'll see what, uh, what the Sharks have when they come and face the the reigning champs and, and uh, you know, that Baltimore Pittsburgh passion game goes back to the, the IWFL days and, and we'll see, you know, uh, now that they're both in the WFA, you know, does the, the passion have the extra year experience and that helps them out or, or can the Baltimore uh, Nighthawks head to Pittsburgh and, and upset the passion early in the season? Absolutely. And, EA, we'll bring you in on this one, this final thought. Uh, New York Sharks, they had a big win. Any thoughts, any reactions? Colette texts you? <laughs> no, Colette uh, has not texted me. I, I don't know. I, I feel some kind of way about that. But, um, <laughs> you know, as I've been wrapping up uh, hockey and um, getting ready for a little WNBA, I must admit I haven't been able to catch that first unofficial official start uh so looking forward to, to seeing what's going to happen um and I'll, I'll leave it to everything that the experts have already said <laughs> all right yeah well we'll keep you here from football to football 
We have NWSL preseason games going on right now. Um, the season starts April 15th. We finally got our national uh, broadcast schedule. So what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's exciting. Um, <laughs> most, most teams, if I'm not mistaken, get, get uh, four games. Uh, there are a few, including the two-time national champs, uh, if you will, NWSL champs, that don't have four games. So, you know, uh, NWSL Twitter is always something uh, to, uh, to enjoy. And, and, you know, FC Kansas City kind of let everyone know they weren't too thrilled <laughs> about that schedule. But needless to say, it's going to be exciting. Also, we have the announcers for that include, um, you know, some of the great names that we've come accustomed to hearing, uh, including Allie Wagner and a few others. So, Really excited to see how NWA, uh, NWSL, excuse me, on Lifetime is going to turn out. I, I said NWHL because I'm I'm going to give you a live update here. It's Finland USA tied at one with 2:30 to go. They're trading penalties left and right in the last five minutes. But back to football. Uh, really excited. Got to check out some sky blue action. Similar to last year, they have some rookies that they're going to look to integrate early. Um, and it looks like Kelly O'Hara, the uh, national team player, is going to be playing forward for Sky Blue FC, something that they played around with a little bit last season. I think that's a good move. It looks like they're looking to get some speed up ahead. Um, so that's just some, some local stuff. Obviously, we have the Western New York Flash is no more. They are now the Carolina Courage. So everyone's going to be excited to see what that team can do coming off of the players themselves coming off of a championship, but the team being brand new. Um, and then we have some NWSL, or excuse me, national team players that are not in the NWSL, including Carly Lloyd and Alex Morgan, who will actually, their two teams will be facing off in the women's premier um, champ- semifinals, I believe, uh, at towards the end of this month. So that's something also exciting coming out of women's soccer. But uh, once we get the season underway, a lot of people, again, looking to see what the courage will do. And then if Portland can kind of break through and, and have, um, you know, have a, a build off the success that they had last season and really take that to a title game. So I think it's going to be an exciting season. Absolutely. And Kyle will bring you in here for this. Uh, Erica mentioned FCKC, one game on the national broadcast schedule. Another team with just one game, and these two teams make up the only teams with one game on the national broadcast schedule, is the Boston Breakers. Do um, you think the NWSL is kind of, kind of showing their cards here and what they think of Boston and FCKC coming this season? I, th- I think so, and I think that they haven't seen a Boston Breakers game then because a Boston Breakers game is fun to watch. I think everybody in the country should be able to see the Boston Breakers play, but they only get one one game on on the nationally televised broadcast. So I'm bummed by that, and uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but I am excited to see the, the Portland Thorns right away get get three games in the first. Uh, sorry, two games in the first three, and uh, see if get back from last year when they had such a great uh, great promising start to. Uh, unfortunately, falling in the playoffs. Absolutely. So Boston actually has their media day coming up uh, April 10th. You can catch us uh, at Mida Sports at their media day uh, out at Harvard. So you can 
get to meet some of the Breakers players here with My W Sports, but a lot to look forward to in the NWSL season. We're getting ready for uh, the season to kick off April 15th. Again, that's on Saturday, so set your calendars, mark all the games. I think there's four games scheduled for that weekend that Saturday, so uh, again, mark your calendars and get ready for some great football action. Um, and again, follow My W Sports for all the news and latest in NWSL news this uh, this upcoming season. So, Five good minutes. Here we go. Kyle, let's finish it off strong. Women's Tennis Association. We had the Miami Open. Joanna Conta, she defeats Caroline Wozniacki. She defeated Venus Williams, who's, I mean, I think is one of the best players in the country, excuse me, in the world right now. Um, and she ends up winning the Miami Open. She's going to move up in the rankings. A big bonus in this one. Any surprise here? Were you following along a little bit? I, I was, and I think that you hit it. Sorry, I think that you hit it right on with, you know, Venus has been playing so well lately that this was an opportunity for her to to take a take home a victory uh, in a final, and unfortunately, it, it didn't happen for her. So uh, I was a little surprised with the with the ending to that. All right, and the, another ending you might be surprised with is what happened yesterday at the Ana Inspiration Championship, the LBGA first major championship of the year. Lexi Thompson, she's cruising, Kyle. She's cruising through the weekend. She's about to win this event. Uh, on the 13th hole, on the final round, so yesterday she found out that she was given a four-stroke penalty because of uh, a less than an inch ball placement error. So she gets minus two for the placement, minus two for the error on the scorecard. That brought her minus one where she had the lead by four strokes, excuse me, by three strokes. So now she's minus one off the lead. So she had to come back. With all this emotion, she comes back to birdie on the 18th and force a playoff. Um, so she goes into a playoff with So Young Ro, um, and So Young Ru, she wins the playoff to move up to number two in the world. Now, this is a tough loss for Lexi, but the way the penalty, this is, this is what the whole controversy is, is the way the penalty was found out about is a TV viewer emailed the LPGA about what they saw on TV about the ball placement error. Um, they did an extensive video review and they figured out that she did misplace it. Honest mistake, as Lexi admitted to after the tournament. What are your thoughts about all this? Well, I can't say that I'm overly, um, um, you know, saddened by it because this is something that happens in golf. And it isn't the first time it's happened, and it won't be the last time. And we've seen it on the, on the end side, multiple, I won't say a ton of times, but but at least multiple times. And, you know, it, it's something that if these games are televised, you know, you, you have to do it right by the rules because there are people watching and it may not be the, the official right there on the course, but it may be somebody else that says, hey, you know, I, I didn't think that was part of the rule. And, and the LPGA as well as the PGA has in the past done this to, you know, after the fact, um, you know, in correct the rules, if you will. Absolutely, and it is. It's it's. It was an honest mistake, and and not that mm-hmm. you know Lexi's known for cheating or um, that you know anybody would imply that. But again, it, it it's a it's a tough way to lose, and I think the way Lexi dealt with it. Um, it's kind of how we were talking about UConn earlier. It's just with class. And, you know, she said, hey, look, Ryan, you won the, won the tournament. Um, it was an honest mistake. I wasn't trying to, you know, get away with anything. Um, so what were your thoughts about just her reaction, the way she kind of handled herself after the tournament? Well, I mean, it is 
what it is. You know, it was it was a mistake, uh, and and somebody saw it, and you know she battled back. She had an opportunity still to win this this tournament, um, but you know it's it's tough thing to do when you know you you're docked four strokes for for something, and and every stroke counts. You know. Absolutely. So a lot of great things happening in sports this past week, a lot of heartbreaking things as well as we just talked about. You can join us next Monday here on MyW Sports, Sports Monday, as we wrap up the week in sports. For Erica Ayala, Kyle Westcott, Ashley Edmondson, and I'm Louis Sanchez. Follow us on social media at MyW Sports as we bring you Motivational Monday, Top Player Tuesday, Women in History Wednesday, Throwback Thursday, and Friday Favorites. If you have any ideas for these days on social media, please let us know. Visit us on MyWSports.com. And you can always make a donation at MyW Sports, uh, excuse me, at GoFundMe um, forward slash MyW Sports. Again, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you for joining us tonight on MyW Sports Sports Monday and catch us next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern.